Welcome, friends, to the Generations Broadcast. Kevin Swanson, your host with you, Steve Vaughn, as well, board member for Generations and our parent organization, Christian Home Educators of Colorado. And today I want to talk about honest money. Um, and this is one reason for the worldview in five minutes. It's a five-minute update every day, and we bring a succinct worldview of the news. So you get it in five minutes, two Bible verses, and you get the recognition that God is sovereign, God is over it all, uh, but also the standards of God's Word are placed in the context of these new stories. Now, one of our desires is to bring a short and sweet, succinct economic analysis of the absolutely most critical things that are happening right now, usually missed by the major media, by the way. It takes us a little digging to get there. The major media will not give you the truth on average. They'll give you some stories about, you know, some murder that happened or whatever. There's all these stories that show up on the front page of Fox News, but most of it, I would say somewhere between 95 and 99% of what appears on Fox News is useless. So what you want is, is what's really happening in the world in terms of economics, in terms of politics, yes, in terms of God's kingdom, the growth of the church, the persecution of the church. These are the stories that matter, and that's what you get every day in the worldview in five minutes. Now, how is inflation impacting savings? Now, that's a relevant question. It's a very important question. How is inflation impacting the retirees, the other conservative savers in America, the people who rely on certificate of deposits or savings accounts? That's an important question. So this week, we did an analysis of that. The average annual savings loss after inflation over 12 years for a three-month CD stands at, get this, negative 2.26% per year over 12 years. <laughs> That's not good news for savers. Now, I, I, no. I think the average retiree, the average pastor in America, the average honest person in America needs to know that data point. They need to know that inflation is destroying savings. That means a retiree with $100,000 in savings would have lost $23,000, 23% of value in the last 12 years. Now, here's the question. Where does all the value go? Well, government growth, of course. The government gets more powerful over the backs of these poor widows and retirees. Over the same period of time, the Federal Reserve assets increased from $1 trillion to about nine trillion dollars. Okay, so so that's that's where the wealth went. Now let, let's let's go over the last two years, just briefly, Steve. I think, and I believe that fourteen year olds can understand this stuff. I, I do, and that's why I wrote how the world runs, and your part in it, a, a very basic introduction to macroeconomics and microeconomics for fourteen year olds, and for the rest of us as well. Written in kind of a garden variety way in which we bring allegories to bear and such so that the average 14-year-old and the average family can easily understand what's going on in the world. So here, here's what happened. The government, the U.S. federal government, aggrandized itself to the tune of an additional $7 trillion in the last two years. Okay, that's a fair amount of money. That's, that's about 33% of the gross national income. Okay, so that's 30 percent of the United States economy. And that's addition to everything it's already doing. So it added to itself about $7 trillion of spending and debt. Of the $7 trillion, 
they gave us back $800 billion in STEMI checks. You remember those, Steve? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So of the $7 trillion they gave us back, $800 billion in stimulus checks. Now, the, the next question is going to be, what happened to the rest what of the $6.2 trillion? <laughs> yeah. D- just shut up. It's the little boy in the first new clothes procession. <laughs> just shut up. I can't hear you. I can't hear I didn't hear the question. What was the question? I didn't hear the yeah, question. Well, if, we, if we ignore it, won't it just go away? <laughs> oh, I think it will. Of course. Yeah. Of the $7 trillion, they gave us $800 billion back, but they kept $6.2 trillion for, of, of course, uh, administrative costs. Administrative yeah. costs, of course. Somebody's got to administrate the eight hundred and twenty billion dollars, right? So now, yeah. So each taxpayer got what thirty two hundred dollars in three stimmy checks, right? And you got a yeah. few thousand dollars for the kids, if you had a few kids under the ages of what eighteen years of age or whatever. Something it was. like that. Okay. Yeah. So so you get thirty two hundred dollars in three stimmy checks. Then the whole economy inflates. Taking your bank account from a hundred thousand to eighty-five thousand dollars in value on average, and so on average, the saver lost fifteen thousand dollars in value over two years, and those stimmy checks didn't quite pay for that. What a bummer! What a bummer! Oh, what a bummer! You lost fifteen thousand dollars, and all you got was a lousy thirty-two hundred out of it. What a major bummer! Yeah, I, I could have bought food with that. That isn't on the shelves. Well, what's the calculation <laughs> I, on that? I could have bought something. On $100,000 savings, you lost $15,000 in two years, but you got $3,200 in stimmy check. Yeehaw. Yeehaw. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's a delta of what, Steve? You got the math on that? So it, uh, um, That would be uh, $11,800 There you go. Lost. Okay, so you yeah. lost 11800 bucks. What a bummer, man. What a bummer. I guess stealing doesn't pay, does it? Yeah, well, not us anyway. It it pays the government. It pays somebody it doesn't pay us. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. I guess Steely doesn't work. Okay, just kids, as you're listening to this, let me say it one more time for the children. Stealing doesn't pay off. Let me say that one more time. Stealing doesn't pay off. Our government's a cheat, a liar, and a thief, and they do it in such a way that only oh five thousand people listen to Generations broadcast, and a few others can pay attention to what's happening. It's a sleight of hand thing. That's what it is. But any 14-year-old who gets our book, How the World Runs, and your part in it can figure this out. We are a nation of thieves. Question here. Steve, did you send a thank you card to President Trump and President Biden and their buddy uh, Jay Powell, who runs the Federal Reserve? Did you, um, did you send a thank you card to, to each of these? Uh, n- no, because I was not thankful. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Only six senators voted against the second STEMI bill. Rand Paul, Mike Lee, Ted Cruz, and three of their friends. We'll be back with more in just a moment on the Generations broadcast. Stay with us, friends. You know, busyness has a way of creeping into our lives. As dads, it can leave us longing for moments of one-on-one time with our sons to simply talk. And those moments can be tough to come by. I get it. That's one of our top goals for our annual summer father-son retreat in the Colorado mountains, to provide quality time for you to connect with your son. Can you think of anything more important for your schedule next year? If you are looking for an opportunity to bond, to really bond with your son, then join me, Kevin Swanson, and hundreds of other fathers and sons from across the country next August. But be sure to register soon because we max out the camp every year and we're already filling up. Go to coloradofatherson.com today and choose one of the two weekends available before they are full. 
Lord willing, I will be there and it will be a great opportunity to meet you and your son. This is your chance to secure the lowest price for this event. So go to coloradofatherson.com and register today. And we are back on Generations. This is Kevin Swanson. We reviewed the consequence of those who maintain savings plans, CDs, etc. over 12 years, losing money big time, sadly. Um, but the valuation of gold is back up to about 1900 an ounce. Gold values have beat inflation by 60% between 1980 and 2022, comparing an average purchase conducted between 1980 and 2000 with an average purchase conducted between 2000 and 2022. The valuation of gold is up 60% while, what was it, you lost uh, 20 30% of the value of your money uh, over the last uh, 12 years if you went with savings and CDs. So, it turns out that gold is hanging in there, tends to, it's funny, it's hung in there for 6,000 years. You know, God defined <laughs> gold as good before the fall in Genesis chapter 2. So if you have any question as to whether or not gold has value, God said it did. Oh, wait, he's the same one who established marriage as a man and a woman. <laughs> I guess we don't trust him on any of that, do we? Yeah. Said, be fruitful and multiply because children are a blessing. By the way, one more thing. He didn't say Bitcoin is good in Genesis <laughs> chapter 2. Just yeah. something to tuck away. All right. So here's how I put uh, some of this in our little book, How the World Runs. It's a brief history of cheating. God wants governments to arrest counterfeiters, put them in jail, and provide restitution. This is one of the jobs he's given to civil government. But this doesn't really happen very much. Highly sophisticated counterfeiters sometimes bribed government officials and kept themselves out of prison while stealing money from everybody else. Eventually, the civil government took over the business of counterfeiting. So that's what happened. The government says, hey, let me counterfeit. I'll do, I'll do all the counterfeiting. Thank you very much. They don't like competition. They sure don't. <laughs> this began somewhere around the year 1700. Now, over a period of about 1400 years since the fall of rome uh, christian civilization in the east and the west did everything they could to maintain honest money which means that any kind of certificate was backed by gold or silver and that was it so you didn't have this printed money that had no backing so so that's the way it was until 1700 when a murderer named john law also an economist he was a murderer and economist okay it was a bad mix <laughs> His economist and a murderer named John, John Law escaped from Scotland, came to France. And uh, since King Louis XIV was having a hard time paying his bills, he asked John Law to fix the problem for him. The economist printed paper bills that were only partially backed by silver. Now, when the people figured out what had happened, they rioted in the streets and John Law barely escaped France with his life. The second attempt to print money not backed by gold and silver came with Abraham Lincoln. That's right, during this U.S. Civil War. He printed greenbacks without the backing of silver and gold. Later, President Rutherford Hayes attempted to restore value to this paper money by exchanging it for silver and gold. And then, of course, you get fractional reserve banking through the Federal Reserve, and that comes in 1913, and the rest is history. Now, here's a short allegory to help explain fractional reserve banking for 14-year-olds and the rest of us. There's once this little country called deficit in which 
there were several banks. People would put their money into these banks and receive 1% interest, and the banks would lend out the money at 2% interest. One of these banks had only $1,000 in deposits, which meant it was collecting just $10 per year for the interest. So the owner of the bank got a little greedy. He decided to lend out $10,000, even though he only had $1,000 in deposits. He printed more money, and he issued $10,000 to people who wanted to borrow money, even though he only had $1,000 in his bank. At 2% interest, now the bank earned $200 per year instead of $10. So the bank owner was very happy. Now, the king of this little realm found out about what the bank owner was doing. He was not happy that this bank was making $200 per year. So the king said, I must control all the banks. I need more money to fight my wars and build my castles. I will make all the rules for these banks, and I will appoint the board members of every bank in my little country, and these board members will do what I tell them to do. So the king took control of the banks, and he let all of them lend out as much as $20,000, even though each of them only had $1,000 in deposits. Also, he required the banks to lend himself large amounts of money without interest for his project. So each of these three banks lent the king $15,000 for a total of $45,000, even though the banks only had $3,000 in deposits. So the king was happy, the bank owners were happy, and the people were happy to borrow more money from the banks. Finally, on March 26, 2020, the board of these banks reduced the reserve requirement to 0%. This enabled each bank to lend out $500,000 no, a million dollars, no, $10 million, even more, while the deposit stayed at $1,000 per bank. The king happily received most of this money in lending, which he used for his favorite projects. Some of it was distributed to the citizenry, and everybody was happy at first, but prices began to rise because there was so much money floating around until there was nothing money could buy, and then the whole rotten system came tumbling down. Okay, so that's the way it works. March 26, 2020 was the date that the U.S. federal government, Federal Reserve System, reduced the reserve requirement to 0% for the very first time, This meant the nation's banks could lend out as much money as they wanted to since interest rates were close to zero. They had to lend out a whole lot of money to make a decent profit. However, this huge increase of debt in an economy produced inflation and a breakdown of trust in the monetary system. And that's how Humpty Dumpty came crashing down and nothing could put Humpty Dumpty back together again. All right. So that's the the, the way, more or less, how we explain these rather difficult concepts to 14-year-olds. And I truly believe they can understand these things. All right, Steve, before I'm done, I have one more story I want to run over with you and with our audience. I think this is very interesting from Epoch Times. It's relating to colleges in Florida and what the president or the governor of Florida, DeSantis, has done to try to engineer and overhaul progressive colleges in his state. He recently announced that he intends to turn a flailing liberal public university into the Sunshine State's answer to Hillsdale College. And that's drawn fierce criticism, obviously, from progressives. He's trying to turn a state-funded college into something like Hillsdale. And Ron DeSantis's new college coup is doomed to fail, wrote the Chronicle of Higher Education. A Florida college goes to war with Ron DeSantis, says it's the new republic. And this month, DeSantis is expected to uh, overhaul the foundering new college of Florida by appointing six new conservatives to the board of trustees. The liberal arts college has been plagued by low student enrollment, financial problems. The college located in Sarasota fell far short of its stated goal to reach 1,200 enrolled students, declining recently from 800 to about 600. So that's the way the article starts. But uh, (coughs) Epoch Times has also documented the experiences of six conservative students attending a major Florida university. They don't specify which one. 
but the students described difficulties in seeking an education in what they described as anti-white, anti-Christian, and anti-American culture. Uh, The Florida students spoke anonymously to the Epoch Times and described their frustration with a hostile environment for conservatives on campus and its classrooms. They described feeling uncomfortable, at best, threatened, at worst. Their accounts described a campus culture focused on race and social justice, open hostility to any conservative or Christian. They asked to use pseudonyms to protect them identity, fearing retaliation for speaking publicly at all. One law student was reported as an extremist to the FBI, was visited by agents for questioning. He assumed it was because someone overheard him express his Christian beliefs and his support for the Second Amendment. A student at an elite private university elsewhere spoke with the Epoch Times on the condition of anonymity, describing a racially discriminatory and segregated educational environment for white students. Here's what the student said. She's identified as Beth. It's an alias. Okay. This is how scared these students are. I mean, they're like living in communist countries. These Christian, these, uh, I suppose in some cases, Christian universities, but, uh, but generally secular universities. They're scared that they'll be turned into the FBI. They're scared that they'll lose their position in the university if they speak at all to a conservative news agency like the Epoch Times. Here's what she said. Here's what Beth says. Most of all, I felt really shocked, especially at my classmates going along with the discrimination and bullying as if it's okay to treat other human beings like that. In one class, her black professor segregated white students from brown and black classmates. Then Beth said white students were told to reflect on their whiteness while minority students were given instructions on assignments. She said the curriculum was mainly about anti-black racism, which had little to do with the class on social services. In a required presentation to the class, a fellow white student spoke about black stereotypes, which was part of an assignment. The professor abruptly shut down the student's presentation for being offensive. The girl became distraught, began to cry in front of the class, apparently shocked and confused about what she'd done wrong, Beth said. The professor didn't immediately explain. Another young white student shared in class how much she now hates herself for being white. And Beth said she was ridiculed by a Hispanic student when asked a question about an assignment involving a racial topic. The Hispanic student said it was important to speak very simply to white people to explain things about culture and race. The Hispanic student appeared to be belittling and faulting white students for not knowing enough about different races. Uh, The minority student in the class seemed to enjoy the attention being oppressed. The status uh, seemed to give them a sense of power over white students. The hate they have in their hearts towards whites is also shocking, she said. All right. So the story goes on and on. Um, And the the solutions, you know, Ron DeSantis and whatever he's trying to do with the uh, university system in the state of Florida, hard to imagine. Um, some of what's being explained is the intellectuals uh, are being inspired by Italian communist Antonio Gramacci and uh, New Left uh, philosopher Herbert Marcuse uh, and sought to embed their ideas in education, government, philanthropy, media, other vital sectors of society. This process has come to spectacular fruition following the 2020 death of George Floyd, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so it appears that woke has almost total control over American universities. That's effectively what this story is saying. And there's some doubt that the governor of Florida can reverse that trend. Yeah, that's, uh, that's just, it's sad uh, to see where things are going. Um, and, and it's time for people to wake up. 
It's time for the church to wake up. And it's time for us to uh, to smell the coffee. It's time to, for us to get back to the Word of God and call upon God for mercy and also for God to uh, for justice to right the wrongs that are going on. That's what we need to do. According to the principles of God's law, of course, here's what's going on. The universities, I think, are working on a fatal cocktail of Marxism, that's class envy, racism, that's skin color envy, and homosexualism, that's just moral anarchy. So they're putting it all together. And this, my friends, is a revolutionary cultural destructive force that will blow up America. So that's the intent. The goal is to destroy. And by the way, Marx referred to himself as Apollyon in his prose writings. And Apollyon is the word the, for the demon who is the destroyer. Marx associated himself with the destroyer. He understood that his ideology was effectively destructive of human life on planet Earth. He understood that. That's a given for Marxism. So the universities have worked very hard on developing a destructive force that will destroy American society. The goal is destruction of society and economy and the unity of American society. The goal is an explosion in the melting pot of America. America is a melting pot bringing together multicultures, and there's no way that you can develop any unity outside of Jesus Christ. And so this Marxist form understands that, eliminates Christ, eliminates everything that could possibly contribute to unity between cultures, and then destroys it by placing a hand grenade in the melting pot and lighting the fuse. That's that's what the universities are doing, and I think it's intentional for the most part. And generally, the churches in America are on board with it. Now, let me just say this. As Christians, we need to realize that these colleges are pretty irrelevant if the goal is to get a job and be a productive member of society. So remember that. I don't know why people send their Republican kids into the blue state colleges. It doesn't make any sense, except that apparently they're on board with their destructive agenda. Uh, Christians need to embrace biblical law and biblical ethics and a biblical view of economics. There's no other way to return to stability in society. And, of course, what the wokisms do is they, they, they're imposing a condemning form of Marxist law upon the whites or whoever, whatever part of society, whether it be the rich or the whites or whoever it happens to be. And they, 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 they impose this kind of false guilt uh, based upon Marxist law. And, of course, there's no possibility of atonement for these sins. That's just the bottom line. That's the religion of wokeism. Christianity says, no, no, what determines right and wrong and determines our guilt is not woke law, it's not Marxist law, it's God's law. But Christian churches that have abandoned God's law have no more standard to determine what is right and wrong, and therefore uh, they just join in with the destructive force of wokeism. But as Christians, let's embrace God's law, biblical law, biblical ethics, a biblical view of economics. There's no other way to return to stability in society. And by the way, no other standard by which to determine our sinfulness and no other standard by which we understand why Jesus Christ came to die on the cross and to provide effective atonement for our sins so we don't have to live under a spirit of condemnation, which is what is happening in these universities today. It's just one big spirit of condemnation on the basis of woke law. So, friends, the law of God restrains evil as well and has significant application to unbelievers, I believe, especially in the realm 
of economics. We can't throw up our hands and say, well, Christians cannot affect society. Christians cannot oppose God's law upon society. Christians cannot be salt and preservatives for society in the economic sense. I believe we can. We don't, do not need to abandon God's law when we go out into the business world or the political world. We can apply God's law and, and use God's law as a restraining force in our businesses as well as our political states. DeSantis also, I think, needs to get out of the college business altogether. It reduces to our stooges versus their stooges. No, no, the free market needs to determine when colleges are worthwhile. And let's just let the free market pop the college bubble, let the whole college scene blow up in the Great Depression of 2023 to 2030. Let's just let it go. Let's, let's not try to reform them. Let's just let the whole thing dissolve. Let the bubble pop. The college bubble needs to pop. And, and, and these political conservatives need to just defund all the universities in the state of Florida and anywhere else. And that is the only possible solution. Let the free market determine what's going to survive when it comes to a useful form of higher education. And it may turn out to be just YouTube University in which these young men, young women learn a few things through private study, through home study, and then they run out into the corporate world, get a good job, and uh, they can avoid the $64,000 of college debt. That is the direction that uh, our system is going. And as homeschoolers, I think we just need to think practically on these things as well. Well, that wraps up the Generations broadcast for this edition, friends. I encourage you to our book, How the World Runs, and your part in it, a brand new book, hot off the press. We're getting a second uh, edition out in just a few months now. But there's a wonderful little study guide that goes along with it, and we recommend it for every high school student in America. Certainly every Christian high school student, get a copy of How the World Runs and your part in it. We have literally hundreds, probably close to four to 500 Bible verses, applying biblical principles to economics in every aspect of economics, whether it be macro or micro. And about 70-80% is the application of uh, microeconomics in a young person's life, how to get a job, how to get out of debt, how to buy a home without debt, how to buy your first car, how to be a good Joseph in the workplace, and so forth. Lots of good practical stuff in that little book as well. How the World Runs and Your Part in It. Don't forget the workbook as well for your high school student. Available at generations.org. This is Kevin Swanson inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation.